Hello everyone, welcome back to the podcast, where today we will be reading chapter one of the Green Chronicles, book one, The Red Pyramid. One, a death at the needle, Carter. We only have a few hours, so listen carefully. If you're hearing the story, you're already in danger. Sadie and I might be your only chance. Go to the school. Find the locker. I won't tell you which school or which locker because if you're the right person, you will find it. The combination is 13, 32, 33. By the time you finishing, by the time you finish listening, you'll know what those numbers mean. Just remember, the story we're about to tell isn't complete yet. How it ends will depend on you. The most important thing. When you open a package and find what's inside, don't keep it longer than a week. Sure, it might be tempting. I mean, it will grant you almost unlimited power. But if you possess it for too long, it will consume you. Learn its secrets quickly and pass it on. Hide it for the next person, the way Sadie and I did for you. Then be prepared, then be prepared for your life to get very interesting. Okay, Sadie's telling me to stop stalling and get on with the story. Fine. I guess it started in London, then I heard Dad blew up the British Museum. My name is Carter Kane. I'm 14, and my home is a suitcase. You think I'm kidding? Since I was 8 years old, my dad and I have traveled the world. I was born in LA, but my dad's an archaeologist, so his work takes him all over. Mostly, we go to Egypt, since that's his specialty. Go in a bookstore, find a book about Egypt. There's a pretty good chance it was written by Dr. Julius Kane. You want to know how Egyptians pulled the brains out of mummies, or built the pyramids, or cursed King Tut's tomb? My dad's your man. Of course, there are other reasons my dad moved around so much, but I didn't know his secret back then. I didn't go to school. My dad homeschooled you. If you can call it homeschooling, if you don't have a home. He sort of taught me whatever he thought was important, so I learned a lot about Egypt and basketball stats and my dad's favourite musicians. I read a lot too. Pretty much anything I could get my hands on, from dad's history books to fantasy novels. Because I spent a lot of time sitting around in hotels and airports and big sites in foreign countries where I didn't know anybody. My dad's always telling me to put a book of My dad is always telling me to put the book down and play some ball. You ever try to start a game of pickup basketball in Aswan, Egypt? It's not easy. Anyway, my dad trained me early to keep all my possessions in a single suitcase that fits in an airplane's overhead compartment. My dad packed the same way, except he was allowed an extra work bag for his archaeologist for his archaeology tools. Rule number one, I was not allowed to look into his work bag. That's a rule I never broke until the day of the explosion. It happened on Christmas Eve. We were in London for a visitation day with my sister, Sadie. 
see. Dad's only allowed two days a year with her. One in the winter and one in the summer. Because our grandparents hate him. After Mom died, her parents, our grandparents, had this big court battle with Dad. After six lawyers, two fistfights, and a near-fatal attack with a spatula, don't ask. They won the right to give Sadie with them in England. She was only six, two years younger than me, and they couldn't keep us both. At least that was the excuse for not taking me. So Sadie was raised as a British school kid, and I travelled around with my dad. We only saw Sadie twice a year, which is not with me. Shut up, Sadie! Yes, I'm getting to that part. So anyway, my dad and I had just flown into Heathrow after a couple of delays. It was a drizzly, cold afternoon. The whole taxi led the whole taxi ride into the city. My dad seemed kind of nervous. Now my dad is a big guy. You wouldn't think anything can make him nervous. He has dark brown skin like mine, piercing brown eyes, and a bald head and a goatee, so he looks like a buff evil scientist. That afternoon, he wore a, his cashmere winter coat and his best brown suit, the one he used for public lectures. Usually, he exudes so much confidence that he dominates any room he walks into. But sometimes, like that afternoon, I saw another side of him that I really didn't understand. He kept looking over his shoulder like we would be hunted. Dad? I said as we were getting off the A40. What's wrong? No sign of them, he muttered. Then he must have realized he'd spoken aloud because he looked at me kind of started, startled. Nothing, Carter. Everything's fine. Which bothered me because my dad's a terrible liar. I always knew when he was hiding something, but I always knew, I also knew. There was no amount of pestering, no amount of pestering would get the truth out of him. He was probably trying to protect me, though from what, I didn't know. Sometimes I wondered if he had some dark secret in the past. Some old enemy following him, maybe. The, but the idea seemed ridiculous. My dad was just an archaeologist. The other thing that troubled me, dad was clutching his work bag. Usually, when he does that, it means we're in danger. Like, the time the gunman stormed a hotel in Cairo. I heard shots coming from sh- shots coming from the lobby, and ran downstairs to check on my dad. But by the time I got there, he was just calmly zipping up his work bag while three unconscious gunmen hung by their feet from the ceiling, from the chandelier, their robes falling over their heads so you could see their boxer shorts. Dad claimed to... Uh, have not witnessed anything, and in the end, the police blamed a freak chandelier malfunction. Another time, we got caught in a riot in Paris. My dad found the nearest parked car, pushed me into the backseat, and told me to stay down. I pressed myself against the floorboards and kept my eyes shut tight. I could hear dad in, dad in the driver's seat, rummaging in his bag, mumbling something to himself while the mob yelled and destroyed things outside. A few minutes later, he told me it was safe to get up. Every other car on the block has been overturned and set on fire. Our car had been freshly washed and polished, and 20 euro notes had been tucked under the windshield wiper. Anyway, I had come to respect the bag. It was our good luck charm. 
But when my dad kept it close, it means we're going to need good luck. We drove through the city center, heading east towards my grandparents' flats. We passed the golden, gate of, the golden gates of Buckingham Palace, the big stone column in Trafalgar Square. London's a pretty cool place, but after you've traveled for so long, all cities start to blend together. Other kids I meet sometimes say, Wow, you're so lucky you get to travel around so much. But it's not like we spend our time sightseeing or having a lot of money to travel in style. We stay in some pretty rough places, and we hardly ever stay anywhere longer for a few days. Most of the time, it feels like we're fugitives rather than tourists. I mean, you wouldn't think my dad's work was dangerous. He does lectures on topics like, Can Egyptian magic really kill you? And favorite Egyptian punishments in the Egyptian underworld. And other stuff most people wouldn't care about. But like I said, there's always a other for him. He's always very cautious, checking every hotel room before he lets me walk into it. He'll dart into a museum to see a few, uh, a few, some artifacts, take a few notes, and rush out again like he's afraid to be caught on the security cameras. One time when I was younger, we raced across the Charles de Gaulle, Charles, Charles de Gaulle airport to catch a last-minute flight, and Dad didn't relax until the plane was off the ground. I asked him point blank what he was running from, and he, and he looked at me like I'd just pulled a pin out of a grenade. For a second, I was scared that he might actually tell me the truth. Then he said, Carter, it's nothing. As if nothing was the most terrible thing in the world. After that, I decided maybe it was better not to ask questions. My grandparents, the posh, live in a housing development near the Canary Wharf. Canary, Canary Wharf. Wharf. Canary Wharf, sorry. Right on the bank of the River Thames. The taxi led us off at the curb, and my dad asked the driver to wait. We were halfway up the walk when my dad froze. He turned and looked behind us. What? I asked. Then I saw the man in the French court. He was across the street, leaning against a big dead tree. He was barrel-shaped with a skin the color of roasted coffee. His coat and black pinstriped suit looked expensive. He had long braided hair and wore a black fedora pulled down over his dark round glasses. He reminded me of a jazz musician, the kind my dad would always drive me to see in concert. Even though I couldn't see his eyes, I got the impression that he was watching us. Might have been an old friend or colleague of Dad's. No matter where we went, Dad was always running into people he knew. But it did seem strange that the guy was waiting here, outside my grandparents, and he didn't look happy. Quarter, my dad said. Go on ahead. Get your sister. I'll meet you back in the taxi. He crossed the street towards the man in the black trench coat, which left me two, which left me two options, two choices: to follow my dad and see what was going on, or to do what I was told. I decided to, on the slightly less dangerous part, path. I went to retrieve my sister. Before I could even knock. Sadie opened the door. Late as usual, 
she said. She was holding a cat, Muffin, who had been a going-away gift from Dad six years before. Muffins never seemed to get older or bigger. She had fuzzy yellow and black fur like a miniature leopard, alert yellow eyes, pointy ears that were too tall for her head. An Egyptian pendant dangled from her collar. She didn't look anything like a muffin, but Sadie, Sadie had been, Sadie had been little when she named her. So I guess she had to cut her some slack. She, Sadie hadn't changed much since last summer. Uh, Sadie hadn't changed much either since last summer. As I'm recording this, uh, she's standing right next to me, glaring, so I better be careful how to describe her. You'd never guess she's my sister. First of all, She'd been living in England so long, she has a British accent. Second, she takes after our mum, who is white. So, Sadie's skin is much lighter than mine. She has straight caramel-colored hair. Not exactly blonde, but not exactly brown. Which she usually dyes with streaks of bright colors. That day, it had red streaks down the left side. Her eyes are blue. I'm serious. Blue eyes, just like our Blue eyes, just like our mom's. She's only 12, but she's exactly as tall as me. Which is really annoying. She was chewing gum as usual, dressed for her day out with dad in battered jeans, a leather jacket, and combat boots. Like she was going on a concert and was hoping to stomp on some people. She had headphones dangling around her neck in case we bored her. Okay, she didn't hear me, so I guess I did an okay job of describing her. Our plane was late, I told her. <sighs> she sighed. She popped a bubble, rubbing Muffin's head, and tossed the cat inside. Gran, going out! From somewhere inside the house, Grandma Faust said something I couldn't make up. Possibly. Don't let them in! Sadie closed the door and regarded me as I was a dead mouse her cat had just dragged in. So, here you are again. Yep. Come on then, she sighed. Let's get on with it. That's the way she was. No. Hi, have you been the last six months? So glad to see you, or anything. But that was okay with me. When you only see each other twice a year, it's like your distant cousins rather than siblings. We had absolutely nothing in common except our parents. We trudged down the steps. I was thinking of how she smelled like a combination of old people's house. And bubblegum, when she stopped abruptly, I ran into her. Who's that? she asked. I almost forgot about the dude in the trench coat. He and my dad were standing across the street next to the big grave, having what looked like a serious argument. Dad's back was turned, so I couldn't see his face, but he gestured with his hands, like he does when he's agitated. The other guy scowled and shook his head. No, I said. He was there when he pulled up. He looks familiar. Sadie frowned like she was trying to remember. Come on. Dad wants us in the cab, I said, even though I knew it was new use. Sadie was already on the move. Instead of going straight across the street, she dashed up the sidewalk for half a block, 
ducking behind cars, and then crossed onto the opposite side and crouched under a low stone wall. She started sneaking toward our dad. I had I didn't have much choice but to follow her example, even though it made me feel kind of stupid. Six years in England, I muttered, and she thinks he's James Bond. Sadie swatted me without looking back and kept creeping forward. A couple more steps and we were right behind the big dead tree. I could hear my dad on the other side saying, Have to, Amos. You know it's the right thing. No, said the other man. He must have been Amos. His voice was deep and even very insistent. His accent was American. If I don't stop you, Julius, they will. The poor Ankh is shadowing you. Sadie turned to me and mouthed the worst. Per what? I just shook my head, just as mystified. Let's get out of here. Let's get out of here, I whispered. Because I figured we'd be spotted any minute and get into serious trouble. Sadie, of course, ignored me. They don't know my plan, my father was saying. By the time they figure it out. And the children? Amos asked. The hair stood up. The hair stood up on the back of my neck. What about them? I've made arrangements to protect them, my dad said. Besides, if I don't do this, we're all in danger. Now back off. I can't, Julius. Then it's a duel you want? My dad's tone turned deadly serious. You could never beat me, Amos. I'd never seen my dad get violent since the great spatula incident. And I wasn't anxious to see a repeat of that. But the two men seemed to be edging towards a fight. Before I, re- I could react, Sadie popped up and shouted, Dad! He looked surprised when she tackled him, but not nearly surprised as the other guy, Amos. He backed up so quickly, he tripped over his own trench coat. He had taken off his glasses. I couldn't help but think that Sadie was right. He did look familiar. Like a very very distinct memory. I must be going, he said. He straightened his fedora and lumbered down the road. Our dad watched him go. He kept one and one arm protectively around Sadie, and one hand inside the work bag slung over his shoulder. Finally, when Amos disappeared around the corner, Dad relaxed. He took his hand out of the bag and smiled at Sadie. Hello, sweetheart. Sadie pushed away from him and crossed her arms. Oh, now it's sweetheart, is it? You're late. Visitation day is nearly over, and what was that about? Who's Amos, and what's a per-ank? My dad stiffened. He glanced at me like he was wondering how much we overheard. It's nothing, he said, turning his head upbeat. I have a wonderful evening planned. Who'd like a private tour of the British Museum? Sadie slumped in the back of the taxi between Dad and me. I can't believe it, she grumbled. One evening together, and you want to do research. Dad tried for a smile. Sweetheart, it'll be fun. The curator of the Egyptian collection personally invited me. Right, right. Big surprise. She blew, Sadie blew a strand of red streak hair out of her face. Christmas Eve, and we're going to see some moldy old relics from Egypt. Do you ever think about anything else? Dad didn't get mad. He never gets mad at Sadie.
You just stared at the window, at the darkening sky and the, the rain. Yes, he said quietly. I do. Whenever Dad got quiet like that and stared off into nowhere, I knew he was thinking about having mom. The last few months, it had been happening a lot. I'd walk into our hotel room and find him with his cell phone in his hand. Picture smiling up from him. Uh, smiling up at him. Mom's picture smiling up at him from the screen. Her hair tucked in a headscarf. Blue eyes startlingly bright against the desert backdrop. Or we'd be at some dig site and I'd see Dad staring at her horizon. And I'd know he'd be remembering how he'd met her. Two young scientists in the Valley of the Kings. On a... On a... On a... On a dig to discover her lost tomb. Dad was an Egyptologist. Mom was an anthropologist looking for ancient DNA. DNA. He told me the story a thousand times. Our taxi snaked its way along the banks of the Thames, just past Waterloo Bridge. My dad tensed. Driver, he said, stop here a moment. The cabbie pulled over to the Victoria Abandonment. What is it, Dad? I asked. He got out of the cab like he hadn't heard me. When Staddy and I joined him on the sidewalk, he was staring up at Cleopatra's needle. In case you've never seen it, the needle is an obelisk, not a needle, so it didn't have anything to do with, and it didn't have anything to do with Cleopatra. I guess the British just thought the name would be the name would sound it cool when they brought it to London. It's about seventy feet tall, which would have been really impressive back in ancient Egypt. But on the Thames, on the Thames, with all the tall buildings around, it looks small and sad. You could you could drive right by it and not even realize you'd just pass something that was thousands a thousand years older than the city of London. God, Sadie walked around in a frustrated circle. Do we have to stop for every monument? My dad stared at the stop of stared at the top of the. Um, my dad stared at the top of the obelisk. I had to see it again, he murmured, where it happened. A freezing wind blew off the river, and I wanted to get back in the cab. But my dad was really starting to worry me. I'd never seen him so distracted. What, Dad? What? What happened here? The last place I saw her. Sadie stopped pacing. He scowled at me uncertainly, then back at Dad. Hang on a minute. Do you mean Mum? Dad brushed Sadie's hair behind her ear. He was so surprised she didn't even push him away. I felt like the rain had frozen me solid. Mum's death had always been a forbidden subject. I knew she died in an accident in London. I knew my grandparents blamed my dad. But no one would ever tell us the details. I'd given up asking my dad, partly because it made him it made him so sad, partly because he refused to tell me anything. When you're older, that's all he would say, which is the most frustrating response ever. You're telling us she died here, I said, at the Cleopatra's needle. What happened? He lowered his head. Dad, Sadie protested. I go past this every day, and you mean to say, all this time I didn't even know? 
you still have your cat. That asked her. Which seemed like a really stupid question. Of course I still got the cat, she said. What does that have to do with anything? And your amulet. Amulet. Sadie's hand went to her neck. When we were little, right before Sadie went live, went to live with our grandparents, Dad had given us both Egyptian amulets. Mine was the Eye of Horus, which is a popular protection symbol in ancient Egypt. If you don't know what a Eye of Horus is, you can check it up online. Back to the story. In fact, my dad says the modern pharmacist uh, symbol, the R with the cross on this line, is a simplified version of the Eye of Horus, because medicine is supposed to protect you. Anyway, I wore my amulet under my shirt, and I figured Sadie would have lost hers and thrown it away. Just to my surprise, she nodded. Of course I have it, Dad. But don't change the subject. Grant's always going, about, going on about how you caused Mom's death. That's not true, is it? We waited. For once, Sadie and I wanted the exact same thing. The truth. The night you must died, my father started, here at the needle. A sudden flash illuminated the embankment. I turned half blind, and just for a moment glimpsed two figures. A tall, pale man with a forked beard wearing a cream colored wearing cream colored robes, and a coppery skinned girl in dark blue robes and a headscarf. The kind of clothes I'd seen hundreds of times in Egypt. They were just standing there side by side, not twenty feet away, watching us. Then the light faded. The figures melted into the fuzzy offer image. My eyes readjusted to the darkness. They were gone. Um, Sadie said nervously. Did you see that? Get in the cab, my dad said, pushing us towards the curb. We're out of time. From that point on, dad climbed up. This isn't the place to talk, he said, launching behind us. He promised the cabbie an extra ten pounds if he got us to the museum in under five minutes. The cabbie was doing his best. Dad, I tried. Those people at the river. And that other bloke, Amos, Daddy said. Are they Egyptian police or something? Look, both of you, Dad said. I'm going to need your help tonight. I know it's hard, but you need to be patient. I'll explain everything, I promise, after we get to the museum. I'm going to make everything right again. What do you mean, Sadie said. Make what right? Dad's expression was more than sad. It was almost guilty. I thought about what Sadie had said. About our parents, about our grandparents blaming him for Mother's death. That couldn't be what he was talking about, could it? The cabbie swerved onto the Great Russell Street and screeched to a halt in front of the museum's great main gates. Just follow my lead, Dad told us. When we meet the curator, act normal. I was thinking that Sadie never acted normal, but I decided not to say anything. We climbed out of the cab. I got our luggage while Dad paid the driver with a big wad of cash. Then he did something strange. He threw a handful of small objects into the back seat. They looked like stones, but it was too dark for me to be sure. Keep driving, he told the cabbie. Take us to Chelsea. That made no sense we were since we were already out of the cab, but the driver sped off. I glanced at Dad, then back at the cab, and before I turned the corner, it disappeared in the dark. I got a weird glimpse of three passengers in the back seat. 
A man and two kids. I blinked. There was no way a cab would have picked up another friend so fast. Dad. London cabs don't say don't stay empty very long, he said matter of factly. Matter of factly. Come along, kids. We marched off through the road iron gates. For a second, Sadie and I hesitated. Carter, what is going on? I shook my head. I'm not sure I want to know. Well, stay out here in the cold if you want, but I'm not leaving without an explanation. He turned and marched after our dad. Looking back on it, I should have run. I should have dragged Sadie out of there and gotten as far away as possible. Instead, I followed her through the gates. Thank you guys for watching the first chapter, reading the first chapter, or listening to the first chapter of The Red Pyramid. It was a pretty interesting and long chapter. Uh, It was almost 15 pages. Uh, But there are quite a few chapters that are quite long here in this book. So you can expect every episode to be around 30 minutes long. But let's just analyze the book a bit. It's kind of interesting how it starts off at Carter just telling us that we should be, we should listen carefully and that we're in danger and that the locker is 13, 32, 33. And he's telling us that there's some kind of something, a package. And so, like, he said, don't keep it for longer than a week because it could get dangerous. Uh, another thing is, there's some, a lot of humor in this thing and also the out of context. Shut up, Sadie. Yes, I'm getting to that part kind of stuff. It was quite interesting, and I thought some of the interesting parts were when the father kind of clammed up after the um, Amos incident, I will call it, and also after the uh, men appeared, the men and the the girl and the guy appeared um, at the Egyptian needle, the uh, the Cleopatra's needle, and he kind of like closed up. But I also thought like one of the most interesting parts was how. He put three stones inside the cab, and apparently, when he looked back, the cab looked back, he saw three people there. So it's kind of weird how it's, like, revolving differently. It doesn't make sense. But I, I like it. Thank you for listening to this audiobook. Have a great day.